Hello Mustang fans and welcome to another Ford Performance Edition of the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm your host, John Clore. You know, from my years with Auto Week Magazine and the Ford Special Vehicle Team, Ford Racing, now Ford Performance, I've always known that everyone has a Mustang story. So to that end, I hope you're reading my efforts to tell your story in the enthusiast section of FordPerformance.com, as well as keeping up with the latest happenings in the Mustang hobby by checking out FordPerformanceClubConnect.com every week. As you know, my co-host is a Mustang hobby and industry expert who is perhaps best known as the longtime president of the Mustang Owners Club of Southeastern Michigan, or Moxham, one of the largest and most active Mustang clubs on the continent, plus who also heads up Boxham for you Bronco owners out there, as well as being the new leader behind the International Council of Mustang Clubs. Of course, I could only be talking about my good friend Mike Ray. Mike, man, we pride ourselves having car guys on our show, but tonight we got a car guy whose whole career is about the wheeled world. Yeah, no, I absolutely love our lineups. Um, our star-studded guests are just incredible that uh, a lot of people have uh, can't get uh, that reach to, and uh, I'm glad that we get to do that and we get to talk to all these guys all the time. We're very lucky, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have none other than Matt Anderson, who's curator of transportation at the one and only the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the Mustang Owners Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, John. You know, we were just talking before we got on the air, Matt, that uh, you know, when cars uh, get involved in headlines, like Mustang, when it turns a certain birthday, we get to see you and we always call on you to you know, give us perspective about things in our lives. But Mike said we haven't seen you. Really, has it been the, the 50th anniversary of the Mustang? What now? Almost nine years ago? Yeah, I think that's right. It's it's hard to believe it's been nine years going on the 60th anniversary of the Mustang now. But boy, <laughs> we had a great time in 2014, that's for sure. Well, time flies when you're having fun. And I know that you uh, you came out to join a, a cast of just uh, superstars in the Ford and Mustang world at the Charlotte Motor Speedway when we had media, the media center just buzzing with all kinds of people. I know I brought out Gail Halderman. Uh, we had Neil Ressler. We had Jack Telnick. We, I mean... They, they were Etzel Ford the second was there. You know, we had Bill Ford was there. I mean, uh, who wasn't there? And the, the fact that they wanted you, Matt, tells the world that not only do you have this big job curating all the things that have wheels on it in the Henry Ford Museum, but also to speak primarily to that audience who loved Ford Motor Company and, and Henry Ford. And that's got to be the toughest job in the world. Yeah, it was so much fun to, to be out there. I tell you, the toughest part was that I felt like a super fan there too, because I loved seeing all these guys and hearing all their stories. And uh, just to be a part of it was was a real honor. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they they listen to you very intently, and we still, uh, Mike. You know, you you and I see him on TV all the time because the, the Henry Ford is always doing things, and it always involves some kind of wheels. And, and Matt, where do you just uh, your schedule? Do you have like an army of people keeping you just propped up to keep it's one thing after another out there? Yeah, more, more than a few times. I wish I could clone myself. That might make some of these days a little easier. But, hey, it's a great problem to have to be so busy. Well, now, a lot of people are confused. They think that Ford Motor Company owns the Henry Ford Museum, and that's not true. 
Yeah, no, we're an entirely separate entity. We're a 501c3 organization, just like many museums in the United States. We don't get any financial support from Ford Motor Company, apart from what we might apply for, like like anyone else. And uh, certainly have a long you know relationship and a great uh, relationship with Ford Motor Company. But indeed, we are an independent entity. So uh, when they give you this this job of trying to curate all the stuff that goes on there, you constantly have uh, new attractions coming in and out of the museum. You know, uh, the, the stuff that goes on there is not only internal and having beautiful displays inside, but then, like any good museum, you have lots of stuff going on outside. Uh, we just had a big show there. Mike, did you get a chance to go to Motor Muster at the Henry Ford this year? No, I have not been there this year, but um, I have been in the past, and what a great, great event. Well, it's... It's almost idyllic, and I, the, 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 I guess it's Greenfield Village, Matt, that makes a car show with you know, all these different years of cars just so interesting. Yeah, it's such a wonderful setting for, uh, for the Motor Muster and, and for our other show, the Old Car Festival, too, for that matter. But you know, the fact that we have so much space where we can set up, and, and we had close to uh, 700 vehicles in the village this past weekend, all from 1933 right on up through 1978, and not just cars. I mean, you had trucks, you had a couple of RVs, we had motorcycles, bicycles, just a little bit of everything on wheels, and so great to have everybody there. Well, Motor Muster is completely different than the Old Card Festival because you're you're targeting different eras of the automobile. Yeah, two very different shows. Motor Muster, uh, you know, we see a lot of cars from the 60s and 70s there. Those are very popular decades with collectors and, you know, frankly, very important decades for, for Detroit and for automobile history in terms of the sure. innovations and, and design changes. But Old Car Festival, yeah, different audience there. You're talking about the 1890s up to 1932. So you get the really early stuff, the open runabouts, of course, a lot of Model Ts, a lot of Model As, but you get some steam powered and, and some electric cars too, or first generation electrics, I should say. So those are really cool to see driving around. Well, that's what um, people don't really realize, Matt. And I know um, if, if anybody listening hasn't been to Detroit in a while and said, oh, I've, I've been to the Henry Ford Museum or Greenfield Village before, uh, you owe yourself a trip back because um, the displays are constantly changing. And uh, I mean, I, I, I don't can't say enough, Matt, about people getting the chance to see uh, how many car companies were involved in making automobiles just in the Midwest. And I think when I walk into the museum and see the lists of all those automakers, and today we're down to just a handful, it really tells you a lot about everybody wanted to be a car maker, but not everybody can. Yeah, that, that's the truth. I mean, it, it was a lot like, you know, what the tech industry is today. Everybody wanted to get into this this new business at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, you know, probably numbers in the thousands by the time you include all those paper companies that you know never built an actual product. They just sold some stock and incorporated. But uh, yeah, a lot of great names out there and a lot of fantastic car makers who I'm sure at one point people thought they'd be around forever that have gone by the wayside. And uh, you know, it's, it's been fascinating to study how the uh, industry is kind of rationalized and slimmed down and merged and gotten to where it is today. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, when Mike throws a car show, 
Mike says, hey, we got to get this guy's car or this guy's car, and then we got to find the place to put them. And, Mike, I don't know how you keep finding, like, these one-offs to come to Mustang Memories, but I know this year you've got a bunch of them already in your head. Yeah, that's, you know, that's special about our show is that we try to bring the unique vehicles that nobody else can see anywhere. And uh, um, we just literally saw so registration came through last night. We have a, uh, a funny car dragster that just registered for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that should be interesting to see this year at the show. Well, well, can you imagine being Matt Anderson? Like you, you I know you start calling those eighty thousand people that are in your phone, but <laughs> but Matt, when he wants to, Matt, how do you find some of these vehicles, and how do you make? Is there a panel? Of, how do you make the decisions on how to rotate them in and out of the museum's collection? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and, and indeed there is a pretty strict process for for how we do it. It, it kind of starts with. Um, it, we'll call it the curatorial wish list, right? I put together a list of uh, 10 cars or so, things that I'm looking out for that I think would would work well in the museum collection. And then uh, depending on circumstances, we get a lot of offers. People will just kind of cold call us or, or they'll submit an email and say, you know, I've got this car. Would you be interested? And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, most of the time we we aren't able to take it either because we, we already have an example of whatever it is, or yeah, it just doesn't yeah. fit our mission for whatever reason. But uh you know, if it's something specific I'm looking for, then I, I will put out feelers. One of our um, you know, exciting recent acquisitions, we got a um, a top fuel dragster from the 1989 uh, season driven by Gary Ormsby, who won the championship oh, yeah. that year. We'd, we'd wanted a top fuel car for years because, I mean, those are like the, the absolute uh, end as far as, uh, you know, automotive uh, racing excitement. You know, they don't get any faster, they don't get any bigger, they don't get any more spectacular than that. So that was a really, really happy thing when that came through. But uh, there is a committee made up of curators and, and other folks at the museum who literally vote yes or no, whether we take something in. And it's my job to to make the pitch, to make the case for why this car belongs in the museum. So uh, we try to be pretty rigorous. You know, the space resources, they're limited. So we, we've got to uh, be mindful of what we're bringing into the collection. Well, yeah. Even though the Henry Ford is one of the largest in the world. I mean, you guys, Mike and I have been to museums where we pay 10 bucks and Three minutes later, we go to the restroom and we pass the six cars and we go, well, that's it. Uh, that, there we go. Uh, but you guys, man, what, what a collection. And Mike, as you know, you often go to other shows just to get ideas and to see where the world's going. Matt, do you get a chance to go out and see some of the other big museums across the United States? Yeah, I, I always try to do it whenever I'm uh, you know, traveling for work. Check out, see if there's a car museum nearby. It doesn't matter if it's it's a big one or a you know smaller operation. I want to see what they're up to. Uh, it, it's worth noting, I should mention, earlier this year, we hosted the annual conference of the National Association of Automobile Museums. Believe it or not, oh, this yeah. is a thing. We've got more than 100 members of car museums around the United States every year. We have a big conference. We get together, talk about issues in the industry. And the uh, nice thing about that is the conference travels. So I get to see a lot of different places that way. But we had them all in Dearborn in April. And, boy, that, that was a lot of fun. Well, Mike, do you remember uh, they mentioned that those guys might be here? And, of course, Matt, uh, being the Mustang freaks that we both are, we suggested maybe they watch uh, – we come out and show the movie A Faster Horse. Uh, did you know that Mike Ray was making cameo appearances in that movie? <laughs> 13 hours of filming and I think uh, 10 seconds of airtime. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, That's you the way it works, all right, Matt? <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you've been on TV so often. You probably had four-hour TV sessions for 15 seconds of clip time. Uh, but, man, do you have to do a lot of – I mean – 
book studies to go back in there and dig up all this stuff? How do you keep that all straight in your head? Man, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I say a lot of it, um, you, you kind of soak up by osmosis because you're spending so much time <laughs> with the collection and, and you just get to learn about it and dealing with it every day. But other times somebody will call up with some specific topic and, and then you go into the books, check out the usual sources and uh, try and get some good answers. I'm thinking not too long ago, we had a uh, interview with folks who were interested in soybeans of all things. And of course, Henry Ford was oh, wow. big on soybeans in the 1930s. He built that whole car with uh, plastic panels derived from soybeans. So was fun to uh, to talk about that kind of a change of pace from the usual stuff. Well, Mike, do you remember um, we had uh, I think we went to a car show and saw a group come out and they put a, a Model T together in like an hour or something, and they were talking about uh, Henry Ford's trying, you know, being that he was a farmer, uh, he was trying to use uh, any kind of plant material and soybeans uh, made a lot of sense. You could press it; they made it very hard. But Matt, is it correct that? When they made license plates out of soybeans, the cows actually ate the license plates? I, I have heard this story before. Yes, there were uh, soybean plates made, I think, during the World War II. And, of course, metal was used for other things. And, uh, yeah, horses, pigs, the animal changes, but the same story. I wouldn't be surprised if it's true. Well, uh, Mike and I are dealing with uh, modern-day cars now. And um, I know a couple people have come to his dealership and said, that um, some automakers have put um, soy-based uh, coating on electric wirings, and that gives the rodents uh, something to chew on. Mike, have you seen that problem crop up at the, your dealership yet? Yeah, so if you, if you remember the chip issue um, that happened uh, during COVID, um, all that happened is the cars were just stored on lots, and a lot of that wiring was eaten up by rodents because of the soy on the, the electrical coverings. Oh my God! Oh, I but you know you gotta love innovation, and you know I gotta give it to Henry Ford. Uh, what a what a what a guy this guy was to think of all these things, and and to come up with the idea of starting a museum um, all about American innovation. I mean, what kinds of things really interest you, Matt? When you uh, you know you, there's all types of curators at that museum now because there's all kinds of things beyond just wheeled cars and trucks and planes and trains and automobiles. Oh, that's the truth. And, and you know, we got to give credit to Henry for that, too. He wasn't just about uh, technological innovation or you know, even automotive industry innovation. He was collecting uh, social innovation as well. So you know, we've got a lot mm -hmm. of things to talk about political history, social history in the United States. Most famously, we've got the, the bus on which Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat in 1955, launching the uh, civil rights movement. So that that's an iconic artifact there. And uh, we're collecting more and more things along those lines every day. Well, you do have Mustang number one, um, the, the famous uh, uh, story about a Canadian airline pilot who bought the car and didn't know that he had one. Was it surprising that Ford realized later on that Mustang just wasn't a flash in the pan and they had to go try to find that car and then you guys went after it? Yeah, that, that car's got such a great story. It went off to St. John's, Newfoundland. And um you know, we're, our figuring is that the cars that were built first, and obviously Serial One was built very early in production, probably traveled <laughs> the farthest distance. And, and St. John's is literally the easternmost part of the North American continent. So probably how it ended up there. But that's a car that I, you know, shouldn't have been sold in the first place. I think it was just designated to be a, kind of a showroom piece for people to look in. Then they'd place their order and get a proper car sent to the dealership later. But uh the guy who bought it, Stanley Tucker, he must have been quite a salesman himself because he somehow talked the dealer 
into letting it go. And, and he had it for about a year and a half. He put 10,000 miles on the odometer. He, he loved that car. And, uh, yes, when all of a sudden Mustang becomes this runaway hit, Ford realized, yeah, maybe we should try and get that car back. So it took him a while to talk him into it. And the story goes, you know, they offered him, uh, took, brought him down to Dearborn. He got to meet Iacocca Coke and, and all the other folks. And then he got to get the one millionth Mustang in exchange okay. for the serial one. And when they gave him the option sheet, he just put a big check mark on the whole thing. He's like, fully loaded. Give me everything. So, well, and then a lot of people confuse a must. That's the Mustang number one, but then there's the Mustang one concept, which was that two seat roadster. Mike, didn't you somehow get those cars out of the museum and to your fiftieth event at the Ford Center? I mean, yeah, didn't that come all up because of Matt's help? <laughs> it was really. Uh, yeah, we had so many special cars on display at the fiftieth, and uh, and that the fiftieth show was at the Product Development Center. Um, unlike our normal home at the world headquarters, um, due to they were putting up the solar panels. So yeah, it was product development center. What an amazing event we had. And uh, Matt was obviously very instrumental in getting those uh, special cars uh, for the public viewing. And uh, it was our still our largest show in our almost 50 year club history, 1,289 cars at a one day all Ford show. Wow. And seeing Mustang one concept, that little two seat roadster that, uh, started to put the Mustang name out there. Um, Matt, that that was a story in itself as well, because, you know, that car was stored away, and not, a lot of people didn't think it was a very interesting car, um, yet it was uh, almost hand-built. And to have it in the museum, I know there are people, I know engineers, Matt, who want to try to get the blueprints from you and make another one of those. Is there another one of those? Uh, they built two of them at the time. One was the runner. That's the one that survives, the one that we have at the museum. And then there was a non-runner as well. And that, so far as we know, is is gone. But yeah, I mean, that's that's almost the opposite of the Mustang serial one story where we knew where it was and Ford made efforts to get that thing back. The, the concept one was was kind of forgotten. The company was done with it. I'm sure they were going to scrap it. And I think some some engineers just kind of adopted it and they hid it away in some shed in some far corner of uh, Ford Motor Company property until. Uh, was safe in the 1970s to bring it back out and uh, turn it over to the museum. So we're we're lucky. If it wasn't for those guys, it, it wouldn't be around today. Oh, absolutely, you guys and uh, there are a couple nice uh, original prototype cars over at the DIA as well. I mean, you, you guys really, you know, you think about that stuff. Whereas car companies, they're in the business just selling cars. And I know Mike and I, uh, Mike's had people come up to him and said, you know, I got a really rare car. You should call the Matt Anderson at the Henry Ford and see if they want to put it in their collection. Mike, how many? I know I get one of those a year. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we can just, yep. Hey, Matt, here you go. We're sending four over to you. <laughs> yeah. They only, <laughs> that's about how they think it works. <laughs> they only made four in this color. And I go, well, that's nice. <laughs> you know, when the Marty reports came out and it was one of one, they think automatically we're going to call Matt Anderson and he's got to have a room full of all <laughs> the one of ones. But no, Matt, that, that's got to be Mustang after 10 million cars. As so many landmark cars, I mean, after a while, you got to be thinking, hey, you know, how do I, how do I keep track of all this? Yeah, no, it's definitely a challenge to uh, keep track, and it's really tough to collect stuff um, that's being built right now because you know we're, we're historians; we like to have a little perspective, ten years, maybe twenty, twenty-five years, to see which cars really did make an impact, which really did change the world. And with Mustang, it was pretty obvious in nineteen sixty-four, sixty-five right away that that car was a game changer but uh, you don't always know so uh we like to, to sometimes wait a few years to see let things kind of sort themselves out and see 
where we need to go out and start collecting. Well, Mike and I always wondered, um, do you get to drive any of those vehicles? I, I do one, once in a while. We don't have a whole lot of them that run. Frankly, we just don't have the, the staff or the time, honestly, to keep all 300 cars in the collection running all the time. But we do have a small fleet of vehicles we run. In fact, at Motor Muster, we were running the, we have the pace car from the 1953 Indy 500. That was Ford's 50th anniversary. So they set a beautiful wow. uh, convertible Sunliner down there for the race. We have that car in the collection and it is a runner. So uh, yeah, I got to take that around. We did a little YouTube video with it while we were at it. And that's something we try to do too. If we're going to make it run, let's capture it on video and you know try and preserve that so folks can, can see it even if they can't get to Motor Muster or whatever to see it in person. Well, um, Mr. Ray is one of those guys that tries to cater to all the Mustang people in clubs that come to Detroit every year for the Woodward Dream Cruise and for Mustang Alley. And then, of course, his own show, Mustang Memories. And the number one question they have is, well, if we go to the, the Henry Ford and we get to take the, uh, the Rouge tour and, and they say, well, why doesn't the Henry Ford give us a flat rock tour? <laughs> because as much as we love the F-150, it's, it's as much Ford as anything on the planet. People still love that Mustang to see that getting built. And Mike's got to stand on his head to try to get people into that plan. Mike, I think you're going to try to get a few people through there this year. Yeah, it used to be uh, very, very common and no issues uh, to get in there every year. It was just a staple of our events. Um, but now, yeah, it's much, much tougher. Since COVID hit, everything was shut down. Uh, rules and regulations all got changed. And uh, but yeah, we are looking to get a small group of maybe 50 in. Uh, this year, um, the weekend before, uh, well, the Friday before Mustang Memories. Well, Matt, when Dearborn Assembly was, you know, where the F-150 plant is, did you guys have tours from the Henry Ford to Dearborn Assembly? Yeah, there, there were tours. I think they were run by Ford Motor Company at that point. And I want to say those last oh, okay. into the 1970s. We didn't get into that, that business until about 2003, I think. Um by which time, of course, they were just building the F-150 there. But that's been uh, a great collaboration for us with Ford Motor Company. And you know, I've come to realize how unusual that experience is in the United States these days, to be able to go into an assembly factory, particularly one making motor vehicles. You just don't don't see that the way that you did 50, 60 years ago. No, I think um, anybody who's uh, been to the Henry Ford, that's a great way to walk through the displays, see all these vehicles and and then to go to um, take the tour, uh, I don't know how long it takes, Matt. Is it, it's several hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a self-guided thing, so you can stay there as, as long as you want. We've got a couple of films we show, one that gives you kind of the history of, of the Rouge complex itself and Henry Ford's vision for the place. And then there's a, another film experience that, that talks about the, the manufacturing process and the technologies used today. And then, yeah, you go up on, on the catwalk and you spend as much time as you want just watching folks put those trucks together it's, it's absolutely fascinating well uh, to see you know the, the birth of the industry uh the cars dating over 120 years old and then late in the afternoon to get on the bus and go over to the assembly plant and watch brand new trucks roll down the line i mean that if, if that's not the complete automotive experience that the henry ford offers visitors then i i don't know what what is uh but the other thing uh you guys these you still have a train out there that runs and i see model t's driving around are those things accessible all summer long oh absolutely you come come to greenfield village you can ride our uh, steam railroads about two and a half miles around the perimeter 
of Greenfield Village. We have three different steam locomotives that operate at, at various times out there. And then uh, you can also ride in Model Ts. We have a fleet of about a dozen uh, cars, and many of them over 100 years old now. And you get to sense what it's like to ride in a Model T. And the first thing people tell me after they ride in those is just how different it is from, from riding in a car today. You feel just more connected with your environment. They're open touring cars for one. And of course, you're traveling at a, a shorter speed and, and you start to, or a slower speed, I should say, and you start to appreciate why people love cars at the turn of the 20th century. You know, the the, the drive itself was the entertainment. It, it was really a lot of fun to be able to experience your world that way, which of course would have been an entirely new way for folks at that time. Oh, I, I agree. I'm, uh, Mike, have you ever, I know um, you've been in several cars and especially the Model A's, which are fun. But, Mike, have you ever tried to drive one of those Model T's? Because I got to no, tell you. No, but I would absolutely love it. No, you get in the dang thing. And, Matt, <laughs> I don't know. I, I Don't don't get me wrong about Henry Ford, but uh, he was putting pedals and levers in places I don't even understand. And then what's with the spark advance uh, on the side of the, the steering stalk? I go, are you kidding me? How will I ever get this thing started? It's a totally different world than what we're used to getting behind the wheel today. Yeah. And you know, you gotta unlearn bad habits, especially if you drive a, a manual shift car today, because the three pedals yeah. are key, but they're they're not what you think. But of course, people buying a Model T in 1912, 1914, that they've never driven a car before. So it, you know, it all seemed perfectly rational to them, I'm sure. Well, I know uh uh Ford Performance sent out a couple of guys, uh, young young guys that wanted to do some writing for us and they one of the assignments was go try to drive a Model T. Took a class in it and watched uh, a very experienced Model T driver do that. And when you drive, when you see these guys driving around the Henry Ford, these guys can drive this. They don't even need to double clutch. They're smooth. They've driven probably about a hundred thousand miles on those things. But when I sent these young guys out there, they they got this. Like you said, they thought about four-speed manuals. And oh my gosh, one of them wound up in the bushes. And all I said to him was. Henry Ford made what 15 million of these things and farmers all across the United States can figure it out and you've got a master's degree and you can't figure it out what what is what's wrong with us <laughs> oh my god we've come a long way what about electric cars are you guys gonna is there some way to this is obviously the evolution and make some kind of displays of uh, some early EVs yeah, we, we've got uh, a number of early EVs in the collection, uh, several of them on display. Um, we've got a big Baker Victoria from 1901, which I, I love. It It literally looks like a horse-drawn carriage with an electric motor on the rear axle. Uh, we have a Woods Dual Power, which which always kind of blows people's minds. It's from 1916, but it is a hybrid. It operates very much the same way a hybrid does today. You, know, you use the gas engine to get going, then the electric takes over. And, of course, you have to do it all yourself, whereas today the car just switches between those by itself. But one of our newest acquisitions, we actually have our first autonomous vehicle. It's a self-driving uh, test vehicle, and it looks pretty crude. It's clearly experimental, but, you know, that's that's maybe the next big thing on the horizon. So we wanted to be able to get an early version of that. Uh, that to me, that's... Uh... Ladies and gentlemen, if you've not been to the Henry Ford Museum and seen what Matt Anderson has put together for your wheeled enjoyment, you've got to just take the time this summer if you're coming out for Mustang Memories or for the Woodward Dream Cruise or Mustang Alley, uh, come out a couple days early. You can't see the Henry Ford in a day. I, I don't know anybody who claimed they've walked through that museum and seen it in a day, as well as now with the Rouge Tour and, of course, Greenfield Village. Matt, it's it's you need a couple of days just to get started. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely, you do. Yeah, I don't know how many people you know, they'll call me. They'll say, oh, we want to come visit. We've got a morning to do it. What should we see first? Like, no, <laughs> you got to spend a day in the museum. You can spend a day in the village. You can you could easily spend another day or at least half a day uh, on the Ford Rouge tour, too. So, yeah, plan uh, plan to spend spend a little while with us when you come. Well, Mike, when we uh, do a car show, as big as memories, you know, time just flies. And before it gets to be three o'clock or awards time and you say, I haven't seen the show yet. And that's certainly that's certainly how it is when you go to the Henry Ford. And you know what strikes me, Mike, I know you were involved with the Roush Museum for a while. And uh, to know that Mrs. Ford took a in the early 1900s, drove an electric car up and down Woodward because she liked the way it was quiet. It didn't smell and make noise. And the funny thing, when you walk through the Henry Ford Museum and see where the automobile has come from and where it is today, and even electrics, the reason that the only reason she stopped driving electric cars were for two reasons. One was range anxiety, and the other one was how long it took the batteries to recharge. And here we are 110 years later, and the two things that are on our mind, Matt, are range anxiety, how long it takes the batteries to recharge. So Henry Ford knew something about it takes innovation to make things happen in wheeled mobility. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and I learned that again and again in, in this job that you know, every new technology or new idea that we come up with today, it seems like somebody somewhere along the line has tried that before. So it's, uh, it's fun <laughs> to watch the conversation kind of come full circle on electrics. So Mike, are you planning not to make those secret phone calls to Matt Anderson saying, Matt, we've got, we have a special need and I know you've got a car you can find for us. Is that what well, you guys you know, do? Next year is the 60th, so we might have to do something cool. Oh, no. So you are planning something. So do you think we could be dragging Matt Anderson into something in the Detroit area rather than have to go to Charlotte or Vegas? I know the MCA Absolutely. Does. So you're, you've got something up your sleeve, Mike? Yeah, we're working. We're going to work with all the other uh, Mustang clubs in Michigan for the 60th and do a super cool event to uh, – you know, represent the, the entire country, really, but uh, mostly the Midwest and show them what we can do on a national scale, um, but with a regional club. I can't I can't wait. And Matt, uh, you, you you can bet you're going to get a phone call and the, the kind of stuff. I mean, you deal with iconic nameplates and cars and vehicles all day. I know you have the Kennedy limo. You got the Rosa Parks bus. You, I mean, one after another, as you walk through there, uh, extremely notable cars. Uh, you know, milestones in history. And yet, you know, it's kind of fun. Uh, a Detroit invention, the Mustang, and uh, how popular this, this vehicle has become, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Yeah, I mean, Mustang's one of those uh, cars. It, it's, you know, it's a Ford model, but it, it is really a brand unto itself. You can say Mustang people know exactly what that car means, where it came from. And few cars represent of the spirit of America, the way that the, the Mustang does. And few places on earth represent the spirit of American innovation better than your absolutely fantastic museum, Matt Anderson. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. And you got to know that when you get a phone call saying, hey, Mike Ray wants to take you to Ford's garage in Dearborn to talk cars, something else is going to be up his sleeve and he's going to be asking favors. <laughs> That's right. No, no, Mike, I hear you. Yeah, Mike, don't you have a burger named after the club? Yes, uh, Moxham has its own burger. Um, it's, uh, you know, the high-octane burger is called the Moxham Burger, um, named after the, the Mustang Club, and it's at Ford's Garage in Dearborn. And it's actually in the no-buy location as well. 
<laughs> well, Matt, when you get the call, just I'm warning you, heads up. <laughs> we're, we're coming for you because, uh, and, and bless you for that great work you do at the Henry Ford. And ladies and gentlemen, make sure you get a chance to go see the work of Matt Anderson, the transportation curator there, to see all the wonderful wheeled things that are in this museum. And of course, uh, people might stop and linger at the Mustangs just a little bit longer than the rest, <laughs> if you don't mind, Matt. Not at all. As well, they feel. Well, thanks again for joining us, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on this episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. So until next time, we'll just have to catch you down the road. <laughs>